Welcome, everybody, to the Creepy Town podcast. On this podcast, we like to explore the darker and more mysterious mysteries of the world. And on today's episode, we're actually going to revisit a podcast, which is actually this podcast you're listening to's uh, predecessor. And that podcast was called The Paranormal Hour. Now, this podcast you're listening to right now, Creepy Town, is basically the same uh, podcast. It's just I wanted um, Paranormal Hour slash Creepy Town to be on uh, its own podcast feed and have its own RSS feed. So the Paranormal Hour evolved into um, Creepy Town. So I'm glad you're here. Also, I would love for everybody, if you have not yet, um, go follow um, Creepy Town on Instagram. It's at Creepy Town Podcast. There I post all kinds of weird, creepy pictures from history, and there's a lot of cool stuff in there, and I think you guys would really dig it. So give me a follow, say what's up. Um, also, I really, really would appreciate it if any of you has some kind of story from their childhood or something that happened to them recently or something that happened to a friend that's in relation to anything creepy, mysterious, or unexplained, uh, whether it's a ghost, someone you know, or you yourself had a ghost sighting or a Bigfoot sighting or an alien sighting, anything like that. If anybody has a weird story, uh, I would love for you to either type it up or record it on a voice recording app I know every uh, smartphone has one. Record it, convert it to an MP3, uh, and email it to me at creepytownpodcast at gmail.com. Anyway, so today's episode, uh, we are revisiting the Paranormal Hour. And on this episode, I talked about the Black Dahlia. Now, the Black Dahlia is one of the world's most compelling unsolved murder cases. It follows a... a, a a young woman, I think she was like 22 or something like that, very, very young. She was murdered. I think she was an actress or something. And her body was severely uh, dismembered and tortured and mutilated. And the case, uh, unfortunately, still goes unsolved. And there has not been a declared killer of Elizabeth Short, who is the Black Dahlia, but I hope this podcast will help shed some light on who it possibly could be. So have an open mind and have open ears. And good luck on your journey into creepy town. Well, I guess uh, the paranormal hour. So enjoy everybody and have a good one. the decades, numerous unsolved murders have been thoroughly investigated yet remain cold, butchered bodies left still with no vengeance or the satisfaction of catching their killer. However, a 71-year-old case notoriously continues to shudder through Los Angeles and even the world as it remains unsolved. 
Various pieces of physical evidence, eyewitness accounts, and even a testimonial from a murder suspect's very own son leave investigators left with just a few suspects. For a fair warning, this episode contains graphic and disturbing content, so you might want to have a little one step out for this one. So put your detective cap on, get your magnifying glass, and get your suspenders because in this episode of the Paranormal Hour, we investigate the mysterious murder of Elizabeth Short, the Black Dahlia. On the beautiful sunny Los Angeles morning of January 15, 1947, Betty Bersinger was walking her three-year-old daughter next to a vacant lot on the west side of South Norton Avenue, midway between Coliseum Street and West 39th Street in Limert Park. Suddenly, something to her left caught her eye, a mysterious object peeking out of the semi-tall grass of the vacant lot. As her curiosity takes over, she walks toward the object to see what it was. She immediately recognizes it as a humanoid figure with a torso, limbs, and a head. Due to the pale, white, and almost unnatural appearance of the figure, she automatically assumes it is a thrown-out mannequin from a department store. As she breaches closer, she is stricken with terror as she realizes that it is not a mannequin, but the butchered corpse of a young woman. The body had been sawed completely in half with several lacerations on the torso, including the dismemberment of her right breast. Perhaps the most gruesome aspect of this murder is that her cheeks had been slashed from the corners of her mouth to her ears, giving her, some would say, a haunting and gruesome permanent smile. The lower half of her body was positioned a foot away from the upper, and her intestines had been tucked neatly beneath her buttocks. The corpse had been posed, with her hands over her head, her elbows bent at right angles, and her legs spread apart. Ridden with fear, Betty ran as fast as she could to find the nearest telephone so she could call the police. The next day, January 16, 1947, her body was sent to the Los Angeles County Coroner, Dr. Frederick Newbar. Newbar's autopsy report stated that Short was 5 feet 5 inches tall, weighed 115 pounds, and had light blue eyes, brown hair, and badly decayed teeth. There were ligature marks on her ankles, wrists, and neck, and an irregular laceration with superficial tissue loss on her right breast. Newbar also noted superficial lacerations on the right forearm, left upper arm, and the lower left side of the chest. Newbar noted that there had been no bruising around the area where she had been cut in half, determining that the incision occurred after her death. The cause of death was determined to be hemorrhaging from the lacerations to her face and the shock from blows on her head and face. Prior to the autopsy, police had quickly been able to identify the victim as Elizabeth Short after sending copies of her fingerprints to Washington, D.C. via a device called SoundPhoto. SoundPhoto was a primitive fax machine of that era, and the prints matched those given by Elizabeth Short during her 1943 arrest. Immediately following Elizabeth Short's identification, reporters from William Randolph Hearst's Los Angeles Examiner contacted her mother, Phoebe Short, in Boston and told her that her daughter had won a beauty contest. This was, of course, just a scheme by the newspaper to obtain as much information about Elizabeth from her mother as they could before they would tell her that her daughter had actually been murdered. 
The newspaper offered to pay her airfare and accommodations if she would travel to Los Angeles to help with the police investigation. This was just another ploy since the newspaper kept her away from the police and other reporters to protect its so-called scoop. The Examiner and another Hearst newspaper, the Los Angeles Herald Express, later sensationalized the case with one article from The Examiner describing the black tailored suit Elizabeth was last seen wearing as a tight skirt and a sheer blouse. The media nicknamed her as the Black Dahlia and described her as an adventuress who prowled Hollywood Boulevard. Additional newspaper reports, such as the one published in the Los Angeles Times on January 17th, deemed the murder a, quote, sex fiend slaying, end quote. The Black Dahlia is also a play on the title of a film released the year prior called The Blue Dahlia. The police frenzied when it came to trying to find the killer. The case had reached severe popularity among the public, so now everyone was watching. This was the perfect opportunity for the LAPD and detective agencies to showcase their skills when it came to catching a murderer. On January 21st of 1947, the case received its first major break. A suspicious manila envelope was discovered by a U.S. Postal Service worker. The envelope had been addressed to, quote, the Los Angeles Examiner and other Los Angeles papers, end quote, with individual words that had been cut and pasted from other newspaper clippings. Additionally, a large message on the face of the envelope read, quote, here is the Dahlia's belongings, letter to follow, end quote. The envelope contained Elizabeth Short's birth certificate, business cards, photographs, names written on pieces of paper, and an address book with the name Mark Hansen embossed on the cover. The packet had been carefully cleaned with gasoline, similar to her body. This was mainly to remove any leftover fingerprints. This led police to suspect the packet had been sent directly by her killer. Despite the efforts to clean the packet, Several partial fingerprints were lifted from the envelope and sent to the Federal Bureau of Investigation for testing. However, the prints were compromised in transit and thus could not be properly analyzed. The same day, the packet was received by the examiner. A handbag and a black suede shoe were reported to have been seen on top of a garbage can in an alley in a short distance from the Norton Avenue, about two miles from where Short's body had been discovered. The police right away began to investigate Mark Hansen as he appeared to be the owner of the address book found in the packet. Mark Hansen was a wealthy owner of various nightclubs and theaters, and according to Elizabeth Short's roommate Anne, she told investigators that Elizabeth had recently rejected sexual advances from Hansen, which would perhaps give him a reason to kill her. Eventually, Mark Hansen's name would be cleared and he would no longer be a suspect in the murder. An interesting fact about this case is that since the murder, the police have received a total of 60 confessions all coming from men. In 2003, a former detective on the case says that he actually did interview the real killer of the Black Dahlia, or as who he believes is the real killer. He recalls a man, a man who had been seen with his sedan parked near the vacant lot where Short's body was discovered in the early morning hours of January 15, 1947. A neighbor driving by that day stopped to dispose of a bag of lawn clippings in the vacant lot when he saw a parked sedan, allegedly with its right rear door open. The driver of the sedan was standing in the lot. His arrival apparently startled the owner of the sedan, who approached his car and peered in the window before returning to the sedan and driving away. The owner of the sedan was followed to a local restaurant where he worked, but was ultimately cleared of suspicion. So fast forward to present day. The cold case of the Black Dahlia receives yet another massive break. 
Now, although the suspect we are about to talk about was indeed under suspicion of the crime back in the 40s, current events that have recently unfolded now point to him as the true killer of Elizabeth Short. October 10th, 1907, George Hodel Jr. would spend his early life growing up in Pasadena, California. As a child, George was already looked at as a genius as well as a prodigy when it came to playing the piano. As an adult, George Hodel became a well-rounded and respected doctor. Many say that he would of course have the skills and tools to mutilate the Black Dahlia in the fashion in which she was. He even ran Los Angeles' venereal disease clinic and George quickly became one of Hollywood's go-to doctors among the various celebrities of that time. He was also considered a notable bachelor, having 11 kids with five different women. George Hodel actually did, in fact, become a suspect in the murder of the Black Dahlia. He was even considered the prime suspect. In their investigation, the police actually planted a bug in his home to see if they could obtain any audio recordings of him confessing to the murder. After analyzing the audio recordings, George was caught saying, quote, Supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia. They can't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. They thought there was something fishy. Anyway, now they may have figured it out. Killed her. Maybe I did kill my secretary. End quote. This was in relation to the mysterious death of George Hodel's secretary, Ruth Spaulding, who died from a drug overdose. Due to Hodel's comments in the recordings, he was investigated for her murder. He had been present when the secretary died and had burnt some of her belongings before the police were called, causing the Spalding's case to be dropped due to lack of evidence. However, documents were later found that indicated Spalding had been planning to blackmail Hodel. She was potentially about to come forward about Hodel intentionally misdiagnosing patients and billing them for laboratory tests, medical treatments, and unnecessary prescriptions. In 2012, police dogs were sent to the home which he lived at during the time of the Black Dahlia murder to do further investigating. The dogs indicated the smell of human remains, so the police took various soil samples that came back once again positive for human remains. The story of George Hodel, however, does not end there. In fact, it takes a very strange turn. George's son, Steve Hodel, a retired LAPD police officer, has recently come out saying that his father was in fact Elizabeth Short's killer. He also states that the Black Dahlia was not his father's first or last killing, but he had killed many. In fact, Steve believes that his father has ties to some of the world's most notorious killings. Here is Steve Hodel to further explain. A thing of beauty is a joy forever. It's loveliness increased. You're listening to my father, Dr. George Hodel. He was a brilliant man who favored poetry and fine music, a child prodigy at the piano, an honor student in medical school, a loving parent in many ways, with a wit as sharp as a surgeon's scalpel. With gravely brilliant eyes, as deeply dark as are these desert skies. He was also, I'm sorry to say, a killer. His most famous victim was Elizabeth Short, the Black Dahlia, whose murder in 1947 remained unsolved, at least publicly, for half a century. I'm also sorry to say the Black Dahlia was not his first murder 
or his last. I'm Steve Hodell, a retired Los Angeles Police Department homicide detective. My book, Black Dahlia Avenger, which came out in 2003, linked my father to the Black Dahlia and several other unsolved murders from the 1940s. Its publication triggered new revelations about George Hodell's role in the Dahlia case and led me to write a new book about more crimes he may well have committed. Shortly after Black Dahlia Avenger was published, the Los Angeles District Attorney's Office released long secret files about the Dahlia case. Independent of my own investigation, they confirmed my father was indeed the prime suspect, one taken so seriously by investigators that they bugged our Hollywood home, a Frank Lloyd Wright Jr. built Mayan Temple on Franklin Avenue. The stakeout by 18 detectives lasted five weeks. The transcripts show my father making incriminating statements about the murder and talking about payoffs to police. Recently we've also learned that a number of top law enforcement officials had been saying privately for years that Elizabeth Short's killer was a Hollywood doctor living on Franklin Avenue. Their statements suggested the case was too hot to handle. And most recently, I discovered more incriminating evidence. Correspondence at the UCLA library showing 50-pound sacks of cement sent to my father's house for remodeling work just days before the Dahlia murder. Sacks apparently identical to the ones found with her remains, used to carry her bisected, mutilated body to the vacant lot where it was found. It's now 10 years since my father's death. Had his crime stopped with the horrific killing of Elizabeth Short, I could close the book and move on. But the research prompted by the Dahlia case has led the cop and me to suspect Dr. George Hodell was responsible for a number of other murders, including two of the most famous crime sprees in American history. I outline them in my new book, Most Evil, Crimes in Chicago, the Philippines, the San Francisco Bay Area. There are the lipstick murders in Chicago in 1945 and 46. First, Josephine Ross and Francis Brown, strangulation bathtub murders in which the killer's M.O. appears identical to a 1944 case in Los Angeles, I believe involved my father. The third Chicago case was the killing of a six-year-old girl, Suzanne Degnan. Near her body, the killer left a message, as he did in one of the other Chicago murders, printed in lipstick. Stop me before I kill more. Under prolonged brutal questioning and physical torture, a 17-year-old named William Hirons confessed to the lipstick murders. Sent to prison without a trial, he has spent 63 years behind bars. For reasons outlined in Most Evil, I believe he's an innocent man. There's also the jigsaw murder of Lucilla Lalou in Manila in 1967. The crime is identical to the Black Dahlia, the body surgically bisected and posed in plain sight in a vacant lot. At the time, my father lived a half mile away. And there are the unsolved Zodiac murders in the San Francisco Bay Area, five seemingly random and motiveless killings in the late 1960s. The common thread being the taunting notes the killer sent to police and the press, just as my father had done 
signing his name as the Black Dahlia Avenger some 20 years earlier. There's much more in Most Evil about the crime signatures and the motive that point to Dr. George Hodel in the Chicago, Manila, and San Francisco murders. Unlike my first book, where active head Deputy DA Steve Kay reviewed my investigation and declared the Dahlia case solved, I'm not making that same claim in Most Evil. But the new evidence is strong and compelling, and I do believe my father's name should go to the top of the list as a suspect. And recent breakthroughs in DNA testing could establish the link once and for all. Behind those jagged mountains, lilac crest, once lay the captive birds. For now, I leave you with a voice once again. There was my brother slain, my sister bound. My father loved an audience. The killer and the Dahlia, Lipstick, Jigsaw, and Zodiac murders loved taunting and teasing police. My God, when did I not love you? In life, in death, when shall I not love you? Are they all one and the same man? Of course, many questions arise after listening to Mr. Steve Hodell give his testimony about his father being the, 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 the killer of a Black Dahlia. And, you know, you got to assume that he and his father did not have the, the best the best relationship. You know, of course, we know George Hodell left his family when Steve was just very, very young, just a young boy. I think he was like six years old, he said. Or I might have read that, that he was just six years old when his dad left to go live in the Philippines. And his dad would, you know, very often travel back and forth between the, the U.S. and Asia. And so that I guess he's, he was saying that that's those are the specific time windows when he had enough time to actually come and kill people here or go kill people there. It's very, very strange. But right now, I really want to just focus on the the black dahlia the black dahlia murder because we can go into the zodiac stuff we can go into the other the lipstick killer stuff but i mean if you ask me that's kind of far-fetched if you're if you're saying that your dad is also the zodiac killer it's like dude how legendary is your dad that's one messed up family dude uh well i guess not the family's not messed up but the dad is but the, the, the dad is messed up enough to have the family be highly dysfunctional but what are you gonna do? Um, so if you ask me, if you if you ask me personally, who I think is the 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 real killer of Elizabeth Short, the Black Dahlia, I I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna say I really don't have an 100 percent sure answer, but I do have a gut feeling that George Hodel is the real killer of the Black Dahlia. And one thing to take into consideration when it comes to the murder of the Black Dahlia is that whoever murdered her was not just your average Joe, was not just some dumb dude, you know, I'm going to go kill somebody and dump her body and make the police all confused by sending them letters and stuff. It's, you can't, it's not just some normal dude that's doing this. You have to be some sort of a mad genius, some sort of genius at some kind of level. Like there's a... There's the perfect example of the documentary that's on Netflix right now called Evil Genius. It's an amazing documentary about the collar bomb killer. And what that whole story focuses on is the a man 
had a bomb strapped around his neck and the police they couldn't do anything to get it off so he ended up just blowing up but there's a whole big scheme behind you know who did it why do they do it is the guy who died involved in the, the thing it was just a very very wild goose chase that whole documentary but it was so good but the whole point is is that these people that were behind it all were extremely extremely intelligent and manipulative people and that's the same kind of person that i think killed the black dahlia because even back in the 40s you just don't kill somebody and get away with it Mm-mm. i mean especially nowadays you don't just kill somebody and get away with it but back then is still i mean maybe you had more leeway back then because you don't have all the technology and dna testing stuff that you do now but it was still you know we're gonna catch you dude and to to get it as far as the Black Dahlia Killer did, I mean, it's still a cold case, man. It's still a cold case. It's still officially unsolved, no matter what you think. But that's that's mainly why I think George did kill the Black Dahlia. He's a genius. He's had a violent past, a very suspicious past. His secretary died just when she was about to release some private... Um, information about George that he would not like to have gotten out and especially the weird stuff that he said when they bugged his house you know maybe I did kill my secretary maybe I did see you know it's that kind of stuff you gotta look at be like dude you're not making yourself look too good so if I'm thinking if this is me and I'm on the jury and this case is brought forth to me and I have to decide, is this man innocent or guilty of this murder? I'm going to, I mean, I know I don't have that, that, I don't have that concrete, solid evidence. But all signs point to yes. But to me, all signs point to yes, that George Hodel was in fact the Black Dahlia murderer. And it's crazy to think that he lived to be like 90-something years old. He died, I don't know when he died, but he died like in the early 2000s. It's crazy to to think you can live your entire life knowing that you got away with murder. I mean, you have to think about that every single day. That thought has to linger in the back of your head every single day of your life. But you never know. He could be a complete psychopath, and he did not even care at all. He probably, I mean, according to his very own son, he killed many, many people. Maybe that's just what he liked to do. Maybe that was his thing. Maybe he got joy from killing people. You never know. You never know, dude. But of course, this is the paranormal hour, and what would be so paranormal without a paranormal story? Of course, I like to talk about conspiracies and creepy murders and unsolved mysteries, but there always has to be some kind of paranormal aspect to whatever I'm talking about. And when it comes to this case, there's been very, 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 very many myths and stories and urban legends about the Black Dahlia and her in the afterlife. You know, we know Elizabeth Short was very young. She was like 20, 21, 22 when she died. But she had a dream of being a famous actress. She came to Hollywood to, you know, pursue her dreams of living in the limelight. And, you know, she was doing whatever it took. I'm going to go be with this person, that dude, this dude, this dude. I'm going to go over here, hang out with these people. She was like living the life of a celebrity without being really a celebrity. So, when you have someone like this, so charismatic, so full of energy and life and hope, and then you just have it taken away so fast and so abrupt and so sudden, 
maybe there's something that's been left unfulfilled. And maybe she's still searching for that till this day in the Hollywood Hills or wherever it may be. But there's one story that comes to mind about the Black Dahlia that I do recall. And it's very, very, it's very interesting and creepy. And it sort of goes like this. And it's important to note that the last place Elizabeth Short was seen before she was murdered was the Biltmore Hotel in Los Angeles, California. And that is location of this story. And the story follows a man, a visitor. He's visiting California and he's staying at the hotel. And his first night there, he goes into the hotel, he checks in, and he goes up to his room, hangs out for a little bit, he comes back down, and his room is on the on the sixth floor of the hotel. He goes out for the night, he comes back, he goes in to the hotel lobby, and he goes in the elevator, and he steps in the elevator. And he's standing there by himself, he's still on the first floor, the doors hasn't, haven't closed yet. And then finally, after a couple of moments, they close, and he's in there. And he's, you know, just looking down on the floor and just minding his own business. And all of a sudden, in the reflection of the silver panels of the elevator, he notices a figure standing there with him that he didn't notice before. So you know, he naturally was a little bit startled. He jumps up and he looks to his left and he sees a woman, a beautiful, beautiful woman with pale white skin and dark black hair and a black... It was almost like a, an old-time... It's so cliche to say like an old-timey dress, but it was like an old-timey dress. And he just looked at her and, you know, she didn't look back. She was just sort of staring forward, you know, sort of like with a with a smile on her face, you know, very she looked like a, she looked like a very happy girl, he said. And so he didn't say anything. He just thought that he just didn't see her. Maybe she walked in when he was looking away, you know, no big deal. So he presses the button to go to the sixth floor. Elevator starts going up, it starts going up, it starts going up. And, you know, this is one of those old elevators, too. So it's like. You know, you hear all the gears turning and bring all the pulleys bring you up each floor, each floor and each floor. And so they finally get to the sixth floor. And then the door opens, you hear the, you know, you hear the ding, the doors slide open and then she starts to get out. She takes a few steps. She steps into the hall. She turns back and looks at the man still standing in the elevator and then this 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 look of terror strikes her face. You know, some the man was like, "Oh my God, what's wrong with you? What's happening?" She just looks terrified and confused and just in agony. And then all of a sudden, the doors close, leaving the man stuck in the elevator once more, and you know, by himself. He ran to the panel on the elevator door, and he was pressing the he was pressing the open door button. You know, that button with the two triangles facing opposite of each, of each other, you know, indicating to, you know, open the door immediately. So he's pressing that repeatedly. The door opens just, you know, just a brief moment later. He steps out. And no one's there. He looks to the left. No one's there. Looks to the right. No one's there. But what he did notice was the area where the woman was, where the woman was standing was just ice cold. The air was just ice cold. He had never felt anything like it. He got goosebumps all over his body. The hair on the back of his neck stood up, and he was just utterly freaked out. He had never seen anything like that before in his life. A couple weeks went by. He was out at his local bookstore, and he went to the discount section 
you know, they have like a bin with like a bunch of like books that are half off or something like that. He goes over there and he picks up a book and it was about famous murders that occurred in early Hollywood. And of course, on the cover was the mutilated body of the Black Dahlia. But to him, there was nothing. He just looked, he picked it up and, you know, it was interesting seeing something like that on the cover of a book. He picked it up and he turned through the pages and then there it was. He saw a picture of Elizabeth Short, not her when she was killed and, you know, beat up, but a picture when she was alive and full of happiness. She had a big smile on her face, bright blue eyes, but, you know, even though it was a black and white picture, probably, she just don't have bright blue eyes. So he looks at the picture and he gasps. He's like, oh, my God, that's her. That's the girl I saw in the elevator. That's her without a doubt in my mind. You know, he said, you know, it it, just, it didn't look, I mean, it's not like she looked similar to her. It's not like they had similar features or qualities. That was her. A hundred and twenty thousand percent. Later, he found out that the, the Biltmore Hotel was, in fact, the last place that anyone saw her alive. Now, if you ask me about this story, it's very interesting and intriguing, and I love it. It's just hard for me to accept it as fact. Do I want to accept it as fact? Of course. It's an amazing story. How cool would it be to see an apparition of Elizabeth Short, the Black Dahlia? Even this day, dude, I'd be so stoked. I'd be terrified, but I'd be stoked as well. Dang, that's amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode of the Paranormal Hour. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned something. You know, I dropped some facts about this case. It's been what, a cold case for like 70 years, 71 years. And also, I apologize if you heard if you heard any animal sounds in the background throughout this episode. It's so hot here in Los Angeles. It's I mean, it's only like 85 degrees, but it feels like it's 300 degrees because of the humidity. You know, you just feel gross and sick. So I'm keeping my animals in my room while I'm recording this podcast. And right now it's 12 o'clock at night. It's the middle of the night and it's still scorching hot and just super uncomfortable here in Los Angeles. Um, so I'm sorry if you hear some ruckus in the background. You know, you may hear Lucy Goose huffing and puffing or you hear Riley meowing. I'm sorry for that. If it ruined the mood, I apologize from the deepest parts of my heart. But I really did like researching this episode because I didn't know too much about the Black Dolly before this. I knew I was sort of familiar with the case. I knew that she was cut in half. She was found in Los Angeles. She was an actress. But there's so much more that I didn't really know. Like I didn't know about George Hodel. I didn't know about his son accusing him of being the, uh, the actual murderer. I didn't know that his son accused him of murdering multiple people. And this is just a weird, weird case that I hope can be you know, fully solved one day if we have more advanced um, DNA analysis stuff. But with that, ladies and gentlemen, I really do appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. Go ahead and share this podcast with the ones you love, your friends, family, your, if you know somebody that likes this kind of stuff, this creepy, paranormal, ghost, Bigfoot, crypto, zoolabu, stuff, just share it with them. I would really, really appreciate it. From the bottom of my heart. 
and I hope you guys like the edits that I do. I like I put music in here and there. I'm trying to make it more, you know, more of a of a complete and well-rounded show instead of me just talking for an hour straight or 45 minutes straight or 30 minutes straight. I'm going to put some some music in here to give it more of an atmospheric feel. So let me know what you guys think. I really do appreciate it. You can get this podcast anywhere on you know on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio. I'm going to research on how to get it on Spotify, and then it's going to be amazing. I really do appreciate you guys from the bottom of my heart once again. Also, you guys know where I'm at on Twitter and Instagram. Go comment or DM me and tell me what, you, what creepy case you would like me to cover. Anything. I'll cover anything you want me to. Anything related to the paranormal world or some kind of creepy murder or some kind of crime case that's unsolved, that has weird aspects to it or anything like that. Any weird creatures or haunted locations. I'd love to hear about them. So let me know. This is awesome. I love doing this stuff. I've been working on this podcast since I woke up in the morning. Just doing research and reading and stuff like that. And I love it. I now have confidence to go out there and talk to people about this topic, the Black Dahlia. I can drop some knowledge, and I hope that you can too now. And no, of course, I want to encourage you guys to keep further investigating these things that I talk about and come back to me and tell me what you found. I would love to hear what you guys got to say. I really would. I appreciate it. So once again, this is the Paranormal Hour. I appreciate you all listening. Have a good day, and I'll be back next week. So stay tuned and subscribe. Good night and stay safe. I like the way that she talks to me. She knocks me out when she romances me. Ain't good for me, but it's so good to me. I just can't resist. She has a way that is all her own The way she loves me when we're all alone It ain't good for me, but it's so good to me I just can't resist Now I've been taught all the rules of right and wrong since I was a wee bit of a child but nobody ever told me that when the right one comes along her loving her pet would drive me wild when she puts her lips up against my cheek and starts to love me that's when I get weak it ain't good for me but it's so good to me Lord I just can't resist now I've been taught all the rules of right and wrong since I was a wee bit of a child But nobody ever told me That when the right one comes along Her loving, 
her pet would drive me wild when she puts her lips up against my cheek and start to love me tell me who wouldn't get weak and ain't good for me but it's so good to me I just can't resist no no baby I just can't resist 